Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was, I guess, more of a, a question that I don't understand um, that that goes along the lines of praying. And that is the concept of intercessors. Um, you know, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I always would just talk to Jesus when I was praying. And the concept of praying to someone else to pray to Jesus for you just, I don't know, I, I guess it just doesn't make sense to me. So I know that the most common one that we always pray to is, is everyone's in particular saint um, and then Mary. So I just wanted to know why is that a common practice and and just kind of elaborate upon it there. Because, again, as a core concept, it's not something that I never really had articulated to me about why this is something that that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good question. Like you say, it's something that's sort of floating around in our Catholic culture and trying to understand the meaning or purpose behind it is a, a great way to engage those practices so that we can do them with more understanding. We don't need to understand everything to do it. But it helps when we can also understand it. And so sure. it's wonderful that you asked the question. Uh, my simple response would be, do you ever ask Teresa to pray for you? Yeah. Okay. So you understand the value of intercessors. Oh, so it's just that straightforward. Okay. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Um, okay. So. So that's the that's the heart of it. Now, if you ask Teresa to pray for you, um, she loves you, and she loves God, and she's holy and prayerful, and so you like to ask people who are holy and prayerful and who actually love you and will take it seriously to pray for you. So one of the things to discover is that we have this whole communion of saints who are holy, obviously, and prayerful, obviously, and who love us. And maybe that's the surprising part. You know it's not an imposition for Teresa because she loves you. She's thinking about you anyway. Describing a prayer request to her is just going to help her be even more focused on the way that she loves you and talks to God about you and things like that. And so, But to discover that we have these friends in heaven who are holy and prayerful, who are saints, and they love us enough to want to pray for us and to care what our intentions are and to bring those before God. That's to discover that we really are together with people in this whole enterprise of spirituality and growing in holiness and daily struggles and trying to live out this part of our pilgrim journey. And that's a great discovery. It's a great blessing for you now in marriage to have a wife that you know that that's the case with, that you do these things together, that you don't have your private spiritual life and her private spiritual life, and they never have anything to do with each other. No, obviously, that very private part of yourself is also a private part of your communion with each other. And the more that you're able to share your spiritual life and share your hearts, the deeper that communion that you have with each other grows. And then to realize we can branch out to people who are known, you probably do that with other family members and friends to one degree or another, but then also people who are not tangible, who are not visible, and 
yet who are very real and very close to us. That helps us to understand that our spiritual family is huge, is incredible. And then there's a way that, as they say, saints often choose us even more than we choose them. We tend to experience it like, oh, I got kind of interested in St. Maximilian Kolbe, and so I started looking into his life and talking to him a little bit more. But the reality is he started getting closer to me and started drawing me towards him in order to communicate also that he's with me in a special way and that we share the spiritual journey. Some people have a very clear sense of that where a particular saint just keeps showing up everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I know somebody who is even having a hard time just with the spiritual life and like having anything to do with God, but St. Therese kept showing up. You know, she got a random thing in the mail with a chaplet to St. Therese, and somebody gave her a card, a holy card with St. Therese, and then she went into a church, and there's a statue of St. Therese. <laughs> just, so there's a, a way that saints also kind of choose us, and we can become aware, like, why does this saint just keep showing up everywhere? But again, it's teaching us that we're never alone, first of all, you may not be together physically with Teresa all the time, but you're always with the Blessed Virgin Mary, and you're always with your guardian angel, and you're always with your patron saints. And, you know, So recognizing that reality is much more full than simply what our eyes and hands and nose and mouth tell us, our ears tell us, that reality is much more full of, of the invisible spiritual realities that are there. And we have all of these friends who are ready to pray for us and who are with us on this journey. And so that's what our whole Catholic practice of turning to the saints is really tapping into is, is something much broader than just a kind of like, well, I could just hand my quarter directly to God or I could put it in this machine over here and then it would get to God in a different way. It's not sort of mechanical like that. It's relational. And relationship opens to more relationship. So we don't drive for the bare minimum. I talk directly to God. We expand to more than that. I talk to God and I talk to all these other people about God and they talk to God about me. And we're building this great communion that is that starts on earth but that ends in eternity. Hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Like I said, I've never had it articulated like that and have a bunch of questions that go along that that direction one of the things that you had mentioned there was the spiritual life being all around us in so many different ways and you know i know that there's there's a number of times in history that's been recorded where um, saints particularly mary has appeared to us on earth um i know that you know in, in the bible for instance um, Jesus talks to angels, you know, that I, so my question is, is, and obviously Mary talking to, to, to Gabriel. So it's just a couple Bible examples. So I guess that's part of the question too. Um, with, with appearances, um, or apparitions or whatever the actual term is, which, which I'm not sure, how do we, I, Engage in those, I guess, is, is the question, you know, the, because reading about St. John the Paul II um, was deeply connected to the Lady of Fatima, and, and that was a, a big part of his life, and I guess that's part of 
what I'm trying to ask and not a very good way of asking the question. So I'm just going to spill it over to you to give me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, one thing I can say to that, and I, I might ask you to, to clarify a little bit more because sure. there might have been more that was uh, you, you wanted to ask about than I, I totally caught. But um, one of the things that we have is not only, say, Maximilian Colby or uh, St. Philomena or St. whoever, but we also have all of these different titles of Our Lady. We have Our Lady of Fatima, we have Our, our Lady of Lourdes, and we have Our our Lady of Akita, and we have Our Lady of um, the Americas, we have Our Lady of anyway, all these, we have these different titles of Our Lady. Now, it's not a lot of Our Ladies. It's all the same lady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all the Blessed Virgin Mary. One uh, retreat master we had said he promotes, he's tried to promote the cultural shift of saying, instead of Our Lady of Lords, Our Lady at Lords, or Our Lady at Fatima, or Our Lady at Akita. Um, in order to help us recognize it's the same lady. She's just, just showed up in different places, you know. But anyway, the yeah. point is uh, there are some of those apparitions, appearances. That's, apparition is a fancy word for appearance. There are some appearances of Our Lady that have been connected with a particular devotion and connected with particular saints. St. Bernadette in Lourdes, for example, and the children at Fatima, St. Jacinta and St. Francisco, and maybe someday also their older sister who died much, much later, mm -hmm. just a few years ago, uh, Sister Lucia. But those apparitions were connected with particular saints in a particular place, also in a particular time in history and with a particular message. And so, uh, as you say, St. John Paul II had uh, a lot of connection with Fatima, not so much when he was growing up as far as I know, but that really became connected with his pontificate. The images, one of the messages of Our Lady of Fatima was talking about Nazism and communism mm -hmm. and the rise of those great wars, both of which he suffered under. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this bishop dressed in white who would fall in a, in a cloud of smoke, shot, and, and fall to the ground and would rise again, which in fact happened to him. And that's when he really started paying attention. That happened to him on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, May 13, 1981. And that got his attention about this third secret that had only been released in a very limited way to the popes. And he started to look into that and started to realize wow, part, there's part of that message that he needed to also act on in terms of consecrating the world, including Russia, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in order to prevent further war and bloodshed. And then we saw the Iron Curtain fell without World War III, mm -hmm. without further bloodshed. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing story of solidarity that was really fueled by John Paul II. And so anyway, the, the particular messages at Fatima spoke to him very profoundly and we don't need to believe in any of that none of those things are necessary for our salvation and so if you want to be skeptical about Fatima or not believe that the messages or whatever that those those children just had a you know a hallucination or something like that you're actually free to believe that and that won't affect your salvation that's what we 
called private revelation. And even the things that they heard there, it's incumbent on their consciences. Those children have to be faithful to what they believe and what they have received in a private and special way from God. But you and I don't have to be obedient to that. It's not necessary. But we can discern and say, do I believe that that message is authentic and does that speak to my life? And that's what we really see with John Paul II. Not only, of course, he loved Our Lady and he didn't disbelieve in Fatima, uh, but it certainly took a much a, a great step after he was shot and he realized how personally that secret was applying to him. And then in his conscience now, it had been transferred to really act on the, the messages of Our Lady of Fatima. So... Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm giving you maybe more than you had in mind, but just to talk a little bit about apparitions, again, saying we don't have a bunch of Our Ladies. There's one Our Lady, mm -hmm. but she's appeared in different times and places and with a particular message for those times and places that's not necessary for us to believe for our salvation, but can be a guide on the spiritual life, just like I hope our podcasts are a guide for people. Now, Nobody has to listen to what Father Boniface says. I'm not an authority in myself, mm -hmm. but insofar as I communicate what the church teaches, of course, people need to believe what the church teaches, and that is a, a necessary part of our salvation. But maybe something that I say, maybe some encouragement or word uh, of uh, some convicting word that I speak, it also strikes someone's heart, and they want to follow that out. That's the kind of thing that Our Lady has done over time, uh, now, she has more authority than I do, sure. but anyway, she's not binding consciences in the things that she says, but she is giving ways to live out the gospel in particular times and places facing particular struggles. Yeah, I, that, I, the, the, the book about John Paul II I found remarkable in the fact that he didn't actually read it until after he got shot, the, actual, the, the third, um, third part of the Fatima message. He requested it after he got shot. And the Pope before him never read it either, um, so I just found that as something uh, something interesting. <laughs> so, um, and I presume that they had advisors, you know, probably uh, the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, or there was somebody who knew about it and may have even said to him, you know, you really ought to read that message. <laughs> now would be the time. <laughs> that would, <laughs> but maybe sense. he made the connection on his own based on the feast day as well. I'm, I don't know the details of that, but that would be the kind of thing. A pope wouldn't necessarily read all of that stuff. It needs to be analyzed for its authenticity. And uh, I think that the messages were already, the, the apparition was already approved. So the kind of thing that the pope will do is say, uh, and a previous pope had done this, I believe, to just read through the apparitions and, and analyze them. He would get theologians to help him with that. And then he would say, okay, nothing here is going to lead you astray. And all of the indications say uh, they, the, the children really experience this, and everything here is, is good if you want to follow it. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, the kind of approval process of, uh, for, for apparitions. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So kind of going, connected a whole bunch of things that we've talked about over the last while here. Because last cast, last couple casts, we were talking about the encyclicals that the popes release that are to help us go in a direction to become better as as individuals and as a society. And 
in a while back when we were talking about the Old Testament, you had mentioned that each of those books were not released at the exact same time in the sense that I imagined the New Testament was. That it was, these are now the bound, approved New Testament. This is that. But the Old Testament, as they were written, they became part of it. At least that was the understanding I got from that conversation we had. First off, is that correct in that understanding? Uh, that, that occurred, that, that applies actually to the Old Testament and the New Testament that, uh, yeah, the Old Testament books were written through, a, across a much larger period of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the New Testament books were written over a shorter period of time, but they were still written over a period of time and they were, they were in use. Uh, so the letters of St. Paul or the gospels were being used in different communities and liturgical settings and other things like the letters of Barnabas were also being used or the prophecy of the shepherd of Hermas were being used in a, you know, in the mass basically. And then a point came over time, there was already discernment. And then in in a more definitive way in the three hundreds, the, the canon, the, the the set of officially approved books Mm -hmm. believed, uh, you know, taught to be discerned, written by the Holy spirit ultimately were identified as the canon of sacred scripture. Uh, yeah, really the Old Testament and the New Testament canon for Christians was stated at that particular point in time in the 300s Council of Hippo, I believe. So my, my question here is, um, obviously God didn't stop being around. Why have we not ever added anything? You know, God has been with a lot of people and a lot of holy people telling him his message and having them write it down. Many, many saints have, have done that. Why don't we ever add them? Yeah, so uh, it's a really useful and important question. What is the purpose of sacred scripture? Sacred scripture is only one means that we have to communicate who God is. It's God has revealed himself, and one of the means that he's done that, and a very important one, is sacred scripture, but it's not the whole thing. God really revealed himself in the Word made flesh, in Jesus Christ. In speaking his word, in Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us, God has revealed everything about himself. Now, how do we come in contact with Jesus? How do we know about him? Well, sacred scripture is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. It's not all of it. And that's why we always talk about fonts of revelation, scripture and tradition. Because ultimately we have scripture, and scripture is the soul of theology. We always want to be able to draw our theology back to scripture. But ultimately, what Jesus did was not write a book for us. He left uh, a magisterium for us. He anointed apostles, and he sent them forth to speak about him. Now, much of what they spoke, what they wanted to communicate, is then recorded in sacred scripture. And that becomes an ongoing way to encounter him. But it's not, it's not the only way. And ultimately, the full revelation came in Christ. So there's no more revelation possible. God has revealed everything in Christ. He did not reveal everything in the Old Testament. He revealed some, mm-hmm. 
but he reveals everything in Christ. And then he provided the means for us already in a certain amount of sacred scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, the, which captures the faith of the apostles. And then he also left a, a living magisterium. So the apostles made successors. And those successors are, have the grace to give an authentic interpretation of that scripture. So the church's teaching has grown in the sense of, uh, you know, the, the catechism that's been written, the way the creeds that have been developed, the particular theological questions that have been teased out that have their roots in sacred scripture, but sacred scripture doesn't make them all totally explicit. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call development of doctrine. We have that ongoing interpretation to help us understand that, for example, Jesus is true God and true man. There's nowhere in Scripture that it says Jesus is true God and true man. We see his humanity revealed in different ways. We see his divinity revealed in different ways. But people have taken those same passages and interpreted them differently. So how do we know? Well, that's where we have this living magisterium. We have the successors of the apostles. We have the popes and bishops throughout the ages who also meet in council and work out these different issues and come to a point that they say, Jesus is true God and true man. This is the true faith. This is what he has revealed to us, Jesus revealed to us, and this is what we can find in Scripture and what we can see witnessed in the tradition. But anyway, it's just to say the real revelation, the fullness of revelation is Jesus himself. And he entrusted himself to the apostles and their faith. And they communicated their faith in part through sacred scripture, in part through passing that on, essentially, in, in holy orders and in the subsequent magisterium. So That, that makes sense. So um, one of the things that, that you said to me there, and this was the image that came in my head, so um, hopefully it, 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 it's apt, but having gone through and still reading through the Old Testament, it almost seems in the way that that God is presenting his knowledge through the Old Testament that it's all building upon each other in almost the way that a symphony does, where it starts really low and then they just gradually put more and more and more noise into it and more instruments start going off until the big high point. Um, and that just kind of seems to be the way that that it's it just building up and more and more revealing about himself. Um, in some ways, it, it seems almost as if he's changing his mind sometimes, and, I, and I'm assuming that's just because they're different writers, different styles of writing. Um, you know, I, I guess what the, what I'm the example that came to my head there was actually in, in the in the mass um, on the first Sunday of, of Lent was about the flood. How he said he was never going to do that again. Um, he was never going to flood the world again. And then you see in different parts where he's allowing horrible things to happen to people that, that turned away from him. So, again, that that's just kind of the examples I have is kind of thinking that through. And and I don't know if that's an accurate or, or, or an apt interpretation of it, um, but that's just having read it, kind of the, the thought that came to me there. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way that you said that, uh, not God changing his mind, but different writing styles. And Mm -hmm. there are different uh, genres of writing in sacred scripture, prophetic writing being different than historical writing. 
And what people are hearing is is going to be an approximation as well. I mean, in the sense that, you know, Samuel heard a certain prophecy and he gives that prophecy, but did he hear, you know, perfectly? So this is where we have to take all these things in the context of the whole of sacred scripture. There is a, what we call a canonical interpretation that each book has its own message to speak and we can take it on its own and try to understand what that message is. But then we have to take that in the context of the whole of scripture and even more fully in the whole of revelation, which as I mentioned is uh, more than just scripture. So we, uh, we do that by yeah, looking, looking at the whole picture. We can drill down into the details, and then we can look at the whole picture. And we can find ways uh, to resolve some of those apparent conflicts. You know, God never did flood the world again. Mm-hmm. Sure. And yeah. so he's faithful to that. But uh, you're right. He allows bad things to happen, and that becomes a wake-up call. And our ways of expressing that, you know, it's if you could have prevented something and you didn't, did you also essentially choose to let it happen? And so did you choose it? You know, there's a, there's a different way of expressing God's action. Uh, we would say now, well, God didn't cause an earthquake to happen to wipe out the people of Haiti again. Mm-hmm. But we know that God could have prevented an earthquake from happening. So what does that mean? (laughs) Um, Anyway, we have some different ways of speaking about that now. The Jews didn't make those kinds of distinctions. They just said, God caused the earthquake. You know, (laughs) like, let's just stop beating around the bush and call it like it is. He could have stopped it. He didn't stop it. He caused it. That's fine. Um, Now, anyway, we like to tease those things apart, and there's a nuance there that's important, and we want to capture the... uh, the, the details with the right nuance, but anyway, you don't you see a little bit more bluntness in the Old Testament, uh, and their understanding of what and why didn't have the benefit of the full revelation of Jesus, of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and so you know they have some partial images. One of the great doctors of the church, Saint Jerome, said the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed, or is, is interpreted, understood through the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we have to, again, read it as a whole, and we can understand some of those things a little bit better when we have the, the whole picture in front of us. So, a, a couple of thoughts that came out of what you just said there, about how we have to read read it in its totality as far as as the message that each individual book and the testament and then the bible as a whole is trying to get across is there then a danger in just going off of like one in particular verse and saying this is my justification for everything because some random verse you know john chapter 4 22 or whatever says this so therefore i'm using that as my sole basis for this and ignoring the 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 rest of of the uh of the passage or the bible of the context yeah we have to be careful about proof texting 
and taking also text out of context. As uh, Scott Hahn likes to say, a text without a context becomes a pretext. Okay. So we start to justify ourselves based on a single verse. And we can all play that game. We can pick single verses that contradict each other. And so, yeah, we have to take everything in its greater context, but then sometimes we can capture uh, something astonishing and important with a single verse, and that's you know what was done with John 3.16, for example. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that those who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. Well, that's such an important message. It's worth memorizing and holding close to our hearts. Is it the whole gospel? Well, no, there's more that he sent his spirit and he mm-hmm. suffered in particular ways and he's you know anyway yeah. there's more to the gospel but it captures something so essential so if we understand what it captures uh, then we can really refer to that and we can be built up by that having verses of scripture that communicate certain truths to us can be a great spiritual force and a way to strengthen ourselves that makes a ton of sense. So with that being said, we're, we're kind of approaching the end of our time limit here for today's cast. We've, we went across a whole array of topics in today's episode. Are there any thoughts that you want to make sure we walk out with as we continue into the rest of our week? Well, I think that your practice of reading the Bible is a great one, and I hope that our listeners do that. And you can even ask saints like St. Jerome to help you do that. Perfect. Bring those two topics together. Perfect. Perfect. And on that note, I'm actually listening to it. Um, I bought an audio book of it. Um, and for everyone who lives in their car or spends a lot of time transporting it, totally recommend it. Um, but side story. Um, so again, I'd like to thank everyone for, um, for being out there and listening with us here this week. Please continue to rate and send reviews on your place you're downloading it, whether it be iTunes or any of the other um, distribution sites. Please continue to follow us on Twitter at Father and Joe and send out the retweets whenever we're letting our new messages come. So we thank you all very much and we look forward to talking to you again next week.